Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. Thank you for joining us. This is Amanda. You can follow me on Twitter at awhite7877. I am joined, as always, by my glorious this week, glorious co-hosts, <laughs> Nick and Ryan. You can get them on Twitter at DC Natchak, and you can find the show at Half Street High Heat. Uh, we're doing this for the DMV Sports Network. You can find them on Twitter at DMV underscore SN. And be sure to check out the website for all the daily content about all the DC sports. And uh, if you listen to our podcast, please go check out what's there. Listen to the other podcasts. There's lots of great stuff. So let's get into it. How are you doing, guys? Well, you paused before you said uh, glorious. So it's starting to make me think that you don't believe what you're saying. So now it's hard for me to trust you. <laughs> well, I was just trying to think of a properly superlative adjective to use in that circumstance. So, I mean, yeah. you should really be more prepared. Ryan and I are prepared every single week for the show. And I, I feel like you should be more prepared. I don't know. That's just my opinion. I don't know. I feel like Ryan just said that he needed to put some thought into about five minutes ago what he was going to do for the draft. That we're doing exactly. And that, that's him preparing before the episode. Yeah. <laughs> While we're recording. Uh, it's I mean, called honestly, the good old college try. There you honestly, go. <laughs> we're like, this is episode 13. We're like professionals at this point. Yeah. Really. Pretty Come much. On. Pretty much. All right. Well, without further ado, Ryan, would you like to share with us your very, very sad and dismal weekend recap? Sure do. <laughs> <laughs> the Miami Marlins are bad. How bad are they? They're so bad. They have one player with OPS above league average. At 10 and 29, they're off to the worst start in franchise history. They are on pace to finish with a negative 378 run differential. No team since 1900 has been outscored by that much. They are on pace to score 443 runs, which would be the record, not the good record, the bad record for the least amount of runs scored in 162-game season by 20 runs. They have lost every single series this season, except for one, <laughs> when they took two out of three against our Washington Nationals. Let's hear it for them, everyone. Wow. <sighs> but speaking of the Nationals, last week, I threw a funeral for our Nationals. I summoned the great Dan Giesling, copying his incredible move. Uh, for throwing a funeral, if you know 
who he is, you know. If you know, you know. If you know, you know. Um, so that uh, did not work because Nats uh, went <laughs> two and five this week. So clearly we need to do something else. We need to sacrifice something. Um, they got embarrassed by the Brewers. And then if it wasn't for Geraldo Parra, they would score like three runs in four games against the Dodgers. So, uh, yeah, good job, Nats, 16 and 24. Then there's the Mets. They're just average. Jeff McNeil, he's having a pretty good start to the season. The New York media, the New York media wants Callaway's head. And then there's Tim Tebow, who is statistically the worst hitter in the minor leagues. And I don't mean AAA. I mean every single minor league league. Absolutely incredible. Well done, Tim Tebow. They are 20 and 20. and Or, sorry, 19 and 20. And then the Braves do what everyone should do. They swept the Marlins, LOL. Um, followed that up by getting swept by the Dodgers. And then they took care of business against the Diamondbacks. As long as they keep dominating the league's worst teams, they're going to be relevant. As long as the NLE stays bad, they will be in the division picture. They are 20 and 20. And then in first place for yet another week are the Philadelphia Phillies. They took two out of three against the Cardinals and swept the lowly Royals. They are 7-3 in the last 10 and face the Brewers next week, next, which should be a fun series for everyone. They are 23-16, and 16, and there you have it, folks. Hmm. Yeah, the para uh, thing is a pretty interesting thing about your uh, the Nats part is, you know, for the more casual fan who doesn't pay attention to every uh, everything that happens with the team, that would be known as who. <laughs> it's a guy nobody even knew we had unless you were paying attention. And his very first start with his very first hit as a Nat with the Grand Slam. That was a fun one. Much more fun than today's game. I thought it was his second start. Did he start the game before? I thought he just played yeah, he... but didn't start. No, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure he started. But anyways, I mean. Either way, it was his first still. hit as a national. <clears throat> yeah. And actually, yeah. for those of you who didn't see it on uh, online today, Tops came out with one of their Tops Now cards for his uh, Grand Slam as his first hit with his new club. Which is pretty cool because he's a wide receiver. I mean, he's number freaking 88. <laughs> Never seen the baseball player. Number 88. And I was making fun of him before that. And then he did a bat drop. And so now I love the guy. Yeah. And then caught the last out of the game. And yeah. was the only one who uh, broke up the no-hitter in the eighth inning today. So there you go. Did you man? He could do both. <laughs> exactly. He's already done more this season than Michael A. Taylor. <laughs> I made a joke when he made his debut. I was like, woohoo, Para, the season savior has arrived. And then today I'm like, well, maybe that was true. I don't know. I don't know. Nowhere to go but up. All right. Mm. So that was about Para. We got a couple of other guys back this week, um, finally, off the, off the disabled list. Rendon and Soto both back with the team. Yeah. Um, they're slowly, you know. They're getting some key guys back. Soto had a pretty good bat, and then the eighth inning, he looked like his old 2018 self, which he hasn't really done a lot of this year. And then Rendon's back. It's nice to look in the three hole and see Rendon instead of like Howie Kendrick or Adam Eaton. So that's pretty nice. Or or Dozier. Oh God. Who was batting second again today? Hey, he just got over 200, so the man is all the way back. You know, on a totally um, unrelated note, I saw today that Chris Davis has almost gotten his uh, his uh, batting average up to 200, which is remarkable when you consider that he went like 0 for 50-something to start the season. Mm-hmm. Chris Davis is uh, winning the AL MVP. No one believes me, but the dude is on fire. 
write it. His last 15 are better than Mookie Betts' last 15. Changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we talked about getting a couple of key guys back. There's a guy I would like us to get rid of, which would be uh, one Mr. Michael A. Taylor. He Wait, has just well, been awful. Can we just talk about how Rendon missed his time? And literally his first game back, he was just already so tired of playing with Michael A. Taylor that he literally ejected himself from the game. That was so unlike <laughs> him, wasn't it? He never loses yeah. his temper. And I mean, I, I don't blame him. I'm just surprised it took him to like the eighth inning because I wouldn't want to play with Michael A. Taylor for even like one pitch. Yeah. Well, you can't blame the man. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. For those who did not see it, I did some stat looking today to expose how terrible Michael A. Taylor is. Um, he has zero RBIs. Steven Strasburg has one. Scherzer has one. <laughs> Patrick Corbin has two. And Parra has four. He has and zero RBIs on the year. He has zero RBIs on the season. He is by far and away the worst player on the team. Um, his offensive war is negative 3.3. Noted powerhouse Sean Doolittle has a negative 0.5 offensive war. <laughs> um, and Michael A. Taylor's OPS is 0.16 higher than Jeremy Hellickson's. Actually, it's probably closer than that because Michael Taylor went 0 for again today with like three strikeouts. So let's, I got to figure out how close it is because this dude sucks. It's amazing to me that he's still on this roster. I do not understand it. He has had so many chances, and I still see people on Twitter saying, oh, you know, he just needs to give, give him some time to round into form. He has been in the major leagues for years, and he can't hit. I mean, there's just he no reason to keep him on the team. They need to either send him down or outright DFA him like yesterday or actually like last year, but now some... would be okay with me. <laughs> Some Michael Taylor stand blocked me on Twitter because they're like, he needs to play because of his defense, but he has a uh, negative defensive rating in every single category this year. And she got really mad and blocked me because they don't like facts. He has no value right yep. now. Nats fans can't take facts. No, mm-hmm. Especially fact. not the Michael A. Taylor lovers. Don't, don't <laughs> fact the Michael A. Taylor lovers. There's no. I mean, he's 28. Like, how much more is he going to improve? Oh, and remember Dusty, and this was two years ago now, saying to him at the beginning of the 2017 season, like, this is your last chance, buddy. You better get mm-hmm. it together. And here we are two years later having the same conversation. And he's yeah. arguably not getting better, but he's getting worse. I know. It's, uh, it doesn't make any sense. And they're keeping five outfielders on the roster. I guess four and a half because they're putting par at first. But, like, you can't keep five outfielders on the roster. It makes zero sense. <laughs> Especially not with a bullpen as bad as this one when you could get an extra. I, arm I don't know. I don't and, know. It's inexplicable. And like, I think he's out of options. And like, he they're only paying him three million. Just DFA him. No one in the world's going to pick him up. Right. Or send him rock. down. It's not like anybody's going to pick him up off waivers. Exactly. Like, he is, like, he has a 47% strikeout rate. The it's league bad. average is 23%. It's so bad. It's so I, bad. I could do better. I guarantee you, if you gave me 10 at-bats, I will strike out less than 45% of the time. <laughs> he was up to 60 at some point. Yeah, there so. was a time when it was 60. So, you know what? He's improving. I guess you guys, you just got to give him a little more time. Shoot. The more he <laughs> plays, <laughs> damn it. Give him time to rank, round out in four. <laughs> Listen, by age 30, he'll get there. Everyone knows by age 30, you hit your prime. Yeah, that's what they say. That's what they, especially about ball players. That's definitely. Yep. 
That's when you get the big bucks, age 30. Absolutely. Okay. Well, um, another thing we did that was cool this week for all of you listeners is we had a great interview with Sam Fortier of the Washington Post, which we are going to play for you next. So um, we will catch you on the flip side. Hi, everybody. Welcome back into Half Street High Heat. We are joined today by Sam Fortier of the Washington Post, who covers the Nats. Thank you so much for joining us, Sam. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So just so people know who you are, if they don't already know from reading your stuff in the Post, um, you are now covering, is it both the Nats and high school sports? Yeah, yeah. For the Post? Okay. Yeah, for the last month, I've been on, on the Nats pretty heavily. Yes, I've been reading all your stuff. <laughs> you joined at the right time. <laughs> yes, so I, right time the wrong right time. Now. I think the listeners might might think the wrong time. All right, maybe we should. Are you the reason <laughs> this is all happening? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I bear no responsibility. I promise. <laughs> so you used to cover the Chargers, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I wrote about the Chargers to the Athletic. Oh, okay, fantastic. Well, we're happy to have you at the post, so we can uh, read your stuff. We really liked your uh, your most recent article about kind of the clubhouse vibe right now, which oh, okay. uh, doesn't sound like it's great. <laughs> yeah, I, Adam Eaton said, uh, "Well, right now it's not it's not great." So definitely think the losing has has, has taken a toll. Yeah, I saw his "It sucks to suck" quote, which was pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Um, the other thing I feel like I have to bring up before we move on to actually talking about the Nats is I saw on your Twitter profile that you're an aspiring taxidermist. Is that? Slash singer songwriter. Ir- <laughs> slash singer songwriter. I assume that's irreverent because if, if it's true, I really need to hear about that. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, the only lyric I have down so far is uh, I may not make music like Simon Cowell, but I can sure stuff an ass. That's as far as I've gotten. <laughs> well, sounds like the beginning of a smash hit to me. <laughs> I mean, I just thank bought your whole album. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I, okay, two customers down, and uh, I don't know how many more needs to be profitable, but we'll, we'll Yeah, it can't be up. too many more, I wouldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get to talking about the Nats and move from these nice pleasantries to some unpleasantries here and talk about what's going on with this team right now. Um, Ryan, you want to start? You have any questions to? Yeah. So I saw some couple interesting stats um, that the Nats were never at or below 500 in the two years with Dusty, and the Nats have been at or below 500 at every month except for one under Davey. So I kind of want to hear your thought process and why do you think that is? Do you think the clubhouse just isn't responding well to Davey, or is it just a culmination of a bunch of things? Uh, yeah, I definitely think that there's there's a lot of factors at play. I think the the rosters that Dusty had had might have been a little more talented. I I think like obviously the core is the same, and and losing Bryson here, I'm not sure you can really quantify too much. You can't really lay blame there. I do think that that Davey is not as as great of an in-game manager as Dusty. Um, you know, we've seen that in the last two seasons. Um, primarily, though, I think this year's blame lies on, on the bullpen, uh, the way it was constructed, as well as, you know, these injuries that you, you just really can't plan for or explain why they're happening the, the way they do. Um, I think the, the main thing about why, and, and, I, and I get the sense that a lot of people are blaming A.V. for the troubles that they've had, and I think last season it was justified. This season, though, 
you know, so many people, you know, every response I get on Twitter is fire Davey, fire Davey. I do think Davey was sort of placed in a, in an unwinnable situation because Dusty was very popular. The team was winning, you know, 93, 95 plus games a year. Um, and, and to me, anytime, like Davey had to come in and he had to win the world series or it was going to be a failure because that's the thing that Dusty proved he could not do. So I do think where Davey's at is it, definitely a, somewhat of a byproduct of his own in-game management, somewhat of a byproduct of bad luck, but also somewhat of a byproduct of unrealistic circumstances, unrealistic expectations. I think you can actually trace that back to the Lerner family not giving Dusty three years uh, because obviously he's not going to take a one-year deal after that, that last two years. And, and, you know, if you don't think he's the guy that's going to win you the World Series, you can't give him two more years. So it was really kind of an, un, an, an unrealistic situation from the jump and I think that was exacerbated by the fact that they didn't give him three years to start. Yeah, that's yeah, a really I mean, interesting point. Um, Dusty is, you know, there were lots of frustrations with him, especially about kind of bullpen decisions and lineup decisions in the playoffs. And But as you pointed out, they were winning a whole lot more games. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that kind of covers up a myriad of other issues. But it just seems to me, at least, that at this point, you know, a year and a half or not quite a half into Davy's tenure that it doesn't feel like it's gelling and that, I don't know, I get the sense that it feels like he's a bit in a bit over his head. I, I definitely see where people can, can see that. And I think there, that might be um, correct in some regards. I would say to any, anyone who says that the Davy has lost the locker room, I would say that's not the case or it doesn't appear to be the case so far. Um, you know, players, still say that, you know, he, you know that's their guy. And, and Adam Eaton said in the interview that we had kind of mentioned earlier that they'd run through a wall for the guy. And they don't think it's a lack of preparation. Um, you know, maybe the maybe hitting the pitcher eighth wasn't as, wasn't as clever as he thought it was. But maybe um, I think that there's a lot – there's some other factors um, at play here. And, again, like I said, I'm not absolving Davey of any in-game management or, you know, seeming inability to get Victor Robles to hit the cutoff. I mean, those are serious things that he, he needs to address. But also, you know, when you're when you're given Trevor Rosenthal and that's your eighth inning guy and you throw him in, you know, you throw him in the eighth inning or you throw Wander Suero or, I mean, Kyle Bearclaw looks better, but, I mean, when he's given these guys and, and these are the chips he has to win and he plays the chips and they don't win, I don't think that falls squarely on him. Yeah, there is definitely some of that. <laughs> They, the bullpen that he was given is obviously a, a woefully inadequate one. So that you certainly can't put on Davey. We have an ongoing uh, debate on this podcast, by the way, Sam, about hitting the pitcher eighth and whether that's a good idea. So I can't wait to tell Nick that you said that. <laughs> I think uh, anytime that you give one of you a, a statistically worst hitter more at bats, I, I just, I don't, I think that's the wrong decision. That That's just me. Well said. I'm all for DH. <laughs> oh, don't even get started on that. Speaking of ongoing debates on this podcast, we don't have enough time for that. <laughs> we don't have enough so, time for that. So you mentioned has... – uh, oh, go ahead, Ryan. Hello? Yes, I'm here. Wait. Okay. Uh, sorry. All right, yeah, yeah, so your audio cut out real quick. Oh, sorry about that. Yep. Sorry. Sorry. You uh, asked your question again, man. Then what? I'll edit that out. Oh yeah, no problem. Okay. I was just saying you mm -hmm. mentioned Zimmerman's comments versus Eaton's, um, and I was just, you know, Zimmerman just was it today or yesterday gave those comments about, you know, this isn't Davy's fault and he's our guy, and it seemed like Eaton's were 
I mean, pointed isn't the right word, but seemed a little bit more about urgency, and Davy seems to be downplaying the idea of urgency at this point. Do you sense any kind of dissent in the ranks in the locker room? You know, you're with you're with the team and, and kind of close to those guys. Are you feeling like some guys are more on that, more on uh, on, on on the same page with Davy than others, or kind of what's your what are you seeing there? My read on the situation is that they, the players understand that, you know, Davey can't really, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to hammer them, especially to us. Um, and I think Davey is frustrated. And I think he actually, I think Davey at his core really is the kind of fountain of optimism that you read from him and that, that he says after, after games, I do get the sense that players are acknowledging at least the, the publicly how serious the situation is. I mean, to go to win 90 games, from this point on the, I mean, they're going to need to go 76 and 50 and that's a 603 winning percentage that, that the team has never, they've only equaled their top one time. And that was in 2012 and they won 98 games. So, I mean, this is a serious problem. It is no longer, Oh, this is early season. We're figuring it out. Davies unwillingness to acknowledge that and saying, you know, every day is urgent. Um, I think it's just a reflection of, of his mindset, maybe just as a person. Um, whereas Adam Eaton is, is, I would consider more of a, I don't know if realist is the right word, but he's, he's like, yeah, I mean, this is a serious problem. We need to fix it right now. Got it. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the way I'm looking at it too. And I wonder if, um, if a lot of the players are kind of feeling that way too. Right. I would, I would not say that, that there is any real dissent in the locker room. I don't think people are upset with Davey for, for saying that. I think, you know, they think that might just be a part of his job. Um, but I would say there might be a difference in opinion, but I don't think difference equals dissent. Okay, got it. That's a good way of looking at it. Um, Ryan? So you mentioned talking about how the Nats have to get, have a 603 winning percentage to get to 90 games. Do you think there's anything they could do that could jumpstart the season now, or do you think it's already too late for them to even think about that? If I had the answer, I, the the Nationals would probably pay me a lot of money to to come in and get it, <laughs> give it. Um, but as far as you know, what can you really do to to tangibly change this season? Um, I mean, it, I feel kind of I feel kind of lame for saying it, but like they need to get healthy. Without you know, without Trey, without Ryan Zimmerman, I know especially uh, you know people talk about platoon with Matt Adams, but I mean, as you've seen. You know, Adrian Sanchez, Howie Kendrick at first base, that's just, they're just not the answer. I mean, Zimmerman has a glove that this team misses, I think, even more than his bat, even more than his arm, or, you know, definitely more than his arm. Um, I mean, you need Juan Soto, you know, batting third or fourth in the lineup every night. I mean, just this roster, I mean, this is not the roster that Mike Rizzo constructed, and I don't think he would think that this roster would win. So that is, is the main um, the main tension for me. And then as, as we've mentioned before, I think let's hit the, let's hit the pitcher ninth. And, and I think that might help too. <laughs> That's a good one. And I guess my big thing though, is that the, it doesn't matter if we get healthy, if the bullpen remains abysmal and it just, this is kind of a, you know, who's to blame for what's going on and how to fix it question is that if the learners remain stubbornly unwilling to exceed the luxury tax and go get some bullpen arms, I don't know that any other, any getting healthy, you know, changing the lineup, any of that stuff is really going to matter if you can get to the seventh inning and they, you know, they just completely combust every night as soon as they get into the bullpen. Right. I think that's actually a great point. And like, 
you know, teams that are injured, teams that, especially in their lineup, your lineup is decimated and you're squeaking out, you know, one, you, you need to win by squeaking out one, two, three, four runs. And you need to have a bullpen that can come down and lock down that win for you. If you get starting pitching performances like the Nationals have consistently gotten from Patrick Corbin and Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg, if they leave in the seventh inning and, you know, it's a 0-0 game or you have a one-run, two-run lead, you need a bullpen to win. In that roster construction, you need a bullpen that will, you know, shut it down for you. And the Nationals just do not have that right now. And aside from signing a Craig Kimbrell or, you know, signing a, a difference maker in the bullpen, I don't know how that changes. Yeah, that's kind of where where you know it seems like if you you know spend any time on Twitter, everybody's been you know talking about Craig Kimbrell since the beginning of the season. But it just seems that. What is your sense? Do you think that there's any chance that the uh, the learners are going to loosen the purse strings and let them go fix this problem, or are they just going to write the season off? And because honestly, with this bullpen, I feel like that's what they've done. If they if they don't fix the bullpen, the season is the season is over. You can't win with this bullpen. I I don't have any insight into into the learners thinking or kind of how they're approaching this but but I do agree with you that inaction you know is certainly you know they have their own priorities and and um like I said I don't have any insight but if if they take inaction that's sort of you know like hey this bullpen is is the best we can do we're not willing to exceed the luxury tax this is what we got and we're going to roll with it that if if nothing else you see what they do by action. So, I mean, if they went out and signed somebody, you would you would see them taking it a little more seriously. But uh, I think we just have to wait and see. Somebody other than Dan Jennings, maybe. <laughs> yes, I, I, I would say I, – I don't know about the fans, but I, I think we have seen enough of Dan Jennings to kind of make an evaluation on, on sort of how – you know, what his performance Yes, is. you could have just stopped with I think we've seen enough of Dan Jennings. That would have been fine. <laughs> Um, do you think that – what is your sense? There's so much of this fire Davy talk. Do you think that that's going to happen? Do you expect that, or do you think he's going to, you know, finish out either at least till the all-star break or to the end of the season if things continue on the on the track they are? That's a great question. I think that is sort of the central question of now this season. I mean, if, if things keep going the way they do and, you know, it's this four-game series in L.A., you know, providing no – respite from this like very just tough road trip they've been on if the nationals do end up looking like you know they're going to finish either at 500 or below which is a very realistic possibility right now um whether or not they they choose to fire davy is the biggest question but it we don't you know the the financials are a little unclear we do know that he has that third year so what the financial implications look like are going to be important to that. And I think as we've seen the learners, you know, the financial contributions are, are a very serious part of in, in these negotiations. So with that big of a, an unknown, um, it, it's really tough to say if this season, you know, if the nationals completely implode and let's say they win, you know, 70, 75 games, something like that, so, you know, a worst case scenario, even with everyone healthy again, I would say, you know, publicly, it's, it's a very untenable position to hold to say that this is our guy going forward. But as of right now, I don't think you can fire him because, you know, this is just not the roster that, that he was expected to have. It, it sort of seems like – and you already fired the pitching coach, Derek Williquist, and, and I don't think that's really appeased anyone um, in the fan base or, or otherwise. So you make that one move. You have to let that move sit for a month or two at least um, in, before you would make another one. So I, I just – I don't see it anytime soon. By the end of the season, I guess it depends on how it goes. Yeah, 
I think that's uh, that's probably fair. You know, a lot of the fan base, I think, would like to see him go just because they're mad. <laughs> but <laughs> it seems like he's probably going to be around a bit longer. Absolutely, and uh, and I think that that's a part of a part of what I mentioned earlier about um, you know sort of the the situation that the the learners have put themselves in um, with with the manager um, is is a big part of that. Yeah, I think if they fix the bullpen, they'd get a lot more slack from the fans about Davy. <laughs> yeah, I, it it sort of is like there are there are a few tensions. You have Davy, you have the bullpen, you have a decimated lineup, but people are kind of excusing the lineup for now, but you know, you can't yell about the bullpen every night, but Davey sort of provides you new quotes every day. So, you know, you can kind of take a look at what he's saying and say, oh, this is ridiculous, and, and that sort of fuels the fire. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the classic scapegoat. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Um, what else? you have any another question, Ryan? Yeah. So uh, a little bit on a different note than Davey. Uh, the Nats announced today that they signed Harada Parra. Um, and putting Andrew Stevenson on the IL. What type of role do you think he's going to have? Is he going to replace Michael A. Taylor in the fourth role, fourth outfielder role with all the issues that he's been having? Or do you think he's just going to be more about, you know, the Andrew Stevenson play here or there, a pinch run, and not play that consistently? I mean, that's a great question. I, I would say that we are we might be seeing the, the end of Michael A. Taylor's time, or at least you know, his productive time um, with the Nationals. I, and, again, that's, that's speculation on my part because, I mean, if you look at it, Clara was only available because the San Francisco Giants, who themselves are, I think, about 15 and 21 right now, they d- tried to designate him for assignment and he rejected it. So we already know Clara will not go to the minor leagues. So there you have, you know, he doesn't have the flexibility of Stevenson. So when Juan Soto, you know, comes off the, the IL, we're going to see, you know, we're going to see they have five outfielders. And then we know that Michael A. Taylor has, has struggled to hit this year. I think in about 34 at-bats, he has about 19 strikeouts. So if his bat is completely gone, does that at this point say his glove just is it's, – it's not even an equitable um, position to hold that, that he's worth it. So I, I think we're going to see Para – you know, and you're not going to sign him without the understanding that, that he's going to stay on the major league roster and you're not going to waste that money. So – and, and he's definitely not supplanting Robles or Eaton or Soto. So I think we're going to see him take that fourth outfielder role and, you know, what they decide to do with Michael A. Taylor because they, they owe him $3.25 million this year. Um, obviously, you know, that, from that arbitration case last winter. What they do with him, I'm not sure, but that would be my sense is that he is going to take Michael A. Taylor's role. That's yeah, what I, I was thinking. Um, and, uh, he's like <laughs> – sorry, go ahead, Ryan. I mean, if you have a 48% K percentage in major leagues, like I still understand you keep that on the roster. Like, that's remarkably impressive. Yes. Impressive in the wrong way. (laughs) Yeah. And it reminds me a little bit about Espinoza, who had such a great glove but just couldn't figure it out at the plate. And he was never as bad at the plate as Taylor is now. So I just don't know how you keep a a roster spot for a guy who's got a 60% or whatever it is. You say 48 now. K percentage is just insane. You know, you, you can't have somebody who's just a whole, like, he, he's, he's got worse numbers than some pitchers. Right, right. And I think this this sort of indicates that, um, and, and I think you've seen that even when Mike Clay Taylor's defense is, is a superlative in center field, the sort of uh, shift that it creates with Adam Eaton going to left, um, 
and, and Robles going to right is, is a difficult one uh, because, as you saw in Milwaukee at a meeting, I mean, he said it wasn't the lights, it wasn't anything. He just had a bad read off the ball in left field, and, and it drops down for a double, you know, just right beside him. So, I mean, Adam Eaton is, is more comfortable in right field. I think Victor Robles in center, like the, the gap between him and Michael A. Taylor, I don't believe is as big as it would be between Para. I mean, Para is not the answer by any means. He's, he's, not, he's, a, he's a good corner outfielder defender, but he's not the defender he used to be. But I think his bat, the difference between Para's bat and Michael A. Taylor's bat is greater than the difference between Michael A. Taylor's defense and Victor Robles' defense, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. It does. So moving on a little bit from their current struggles, do you um, have any update? Maybe we haven't heard publicly yet about the timetable for Trey Turner to get back. Yeah, I sort of, I, I don't know if this is uh this is like new news, but I think they really still expect him to take the full eight weeks. Um, I mean, he progressed in Milwaukee uh, on Tuesday. He took batting practice for the first time. He looked good. He fielded grounders, but he, he flipped a second. He wasn't, you know, really thrown across the diamond. And, and from my sense, um, just talking to people in the organization, that's what they're waiting on. You know, can he field that ball in the hole and, and get it across the diamond at first, and especially at a time when, when shortstop defense is so touchy after Carter Keeboom's four errors in his first 10 major league games. They really <laughs> want to make sure that he can lock down that, that you know, cornerstone piece of the defense. Um, my guess is if he would still take full eight weeks, that's, you know, just my understanding. But it's obviously great to see him taking batting practice and, and fielding grounders three weeks away from that. Yeah, it made me hopeful that maybe it wouldn't take the full eight weeks. <laughs> uh, you uh, you are not alone in that, I, I guarantee it. Yes, I'm sure that's true. Um, let me see. I think I've got one. The only other question I have here um, is about Rendon. Um, obviously, he's back, which is great. Um, are you hearing any rumblings or um, maybe even just whispers about any possible extension talks ongoing, or is that pretty much dead in the water right now? I would say it's, it's – I don't know about dead in the water, but I would say it's sort of at a, a, a wait-and-see period. Obviously, they had that meeting, I want to say it's two or three weeks ago, um, that, where the Lerner family was involved. But um, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a sense that they made, you know, serious progress progress in there. And, and I don't think um, that we're really any closer than we were before the beginning of the season. I, I don't think that's dead by any means. And, uh, you know, I think Rendon would, would welcome further talks, and I think the Lerners are, you know, Definitely, they're you know they are interested as well, but I just don't get the sense that uh, that that's something that with with the way that the team is playing right now that that's even on the table. Yeah, speaking of the way the team is playing, if if it continues and we're getting towards the trade deadline, do you think if they haven't signed him and the team is is still as bad as they are now that there's a good possibility of them trading him? I don't know about a good possibility. That definitely, I feel like you know if if we reach a worst case scenario like you know we mentioned earlier that definitely could lead to that being an option um especially i mean we saw last year mike rizzo had a had a plan in place to trade bryce harper uh houston and before the learners you know nixed it i don't think this is again i don't have any insight in the learners but i would imagine that the learners wouldn't have the same emotional attachment to anthony rendon so you know if if prospects are available if the price is right they and you know the situation for the nationals is 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 that way, then I think that could become a possibility. But obviously I think that's the, the last hope for anyone in the organization. And I would say including Anthony. Yeah. And the rest of us who would be so, so sad. <laughs> <laughs> I do not want to see Rendon go, especially not the year after they lose Harper. 
definitely it feels I think like the national somehow. Right, right. And uh, you know, you'd only have so many marketable I mean, um Trey obviously and Max and Steven, but uh, you know, the the list of familiar um friendly names Ryan Zimmerman obviously, but uh it definitely would that would that would be a, a blow to uh that list. Yes, it certainly would. All right. Well Ryan, you have any other questions? No, that's it for me. I think that's all the time we have today. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us, Sam. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, once again, that's Sam Fortier from the Washington Post. You can follow him at Sam4TR. Um, and thanks. It's great to have you on the show. And uh, hopefully have you back again sometime. Absolutely. Just let me know. All right. Yep. Take care. All right. Thanks. Take care. You too. Okay, so I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. Um, Sam was great, and I hope he'll join us again soon. Um, Sam, if you're listening, thank you so much for coming on. Um, We had a lot of fun with it. So let's do next something that everybody on Twitter this week seemed to want us to do, which was expand our Nats draft that we started last week. Yeah, well, let me first say, Sam, uh, apologies. I I couldn't make the interview. I was uh, was doing what – yeah. <laughs> I was doing what Davey couldn't do and I was actually coaching. Uh so <laughs> my apologies. Yes. Well, I'm sure you'll be there for the next one. Yep, I got you, Sam. Come back on. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so are we doing our order here the same as last time? We're gonna go Yep. So the way we did it last week it was just any player who's ever put on an ass jersey and uh, year from the career, um, the way we're going to do it, we're going to continue it. Uh, when we're when it's all said and done, we'll have a starting nine, four pitchers, and a manager. Um, but just to keep it simple, for the rest of the draft, we're just going to do the best year they had on the Nats. So no, no <laughs> years on other teams. Damn um, it! <laughs> yeah. Yep. Ryan's strategy is screwed. Um, so yeah, we'll just continue, uh, just to recap everyone's teams. I had, uh, Scherzer, Doolittle, Rendon, Murphy, Amanda had Harper, Cordero, Trey, and Clippard, and Ryan had Soriano, Jordan Zimmerman, Pudge, and Ryan Zimmerman. Order, uh, since I had the last pick of the fourth round, I will have the first pick of the fifth round. And we're going to just do four tonight, so everybody knows we're going to do four more tonight and save the last five for next week. Yep, we're doing NFL draft style where we're breaking it up to separate days. So we will complete our teams next episode, but we will get our next for this episode, and it starts <laughs> right now. Starts um, right now. Okay, so first pick round five. I was bummed I couldn't go him uh, round four, but opportunity strikes, and you got to do it. I'm going oh, one Steven. Strasburg. Oh my god, that was gonna be my sixth round pick. <laughs> well, you're screwed even more now. <laughs> Suck it. All right, you got Strauss. Let's let's write him in so that we don't have to go back and do it after. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna take. I need a starter because I don't have one yet. So I'm gonna go Geo because while he had his bad, <laughs> oh, laugh it up, laugh it up, in his good years, he was very good. <laughs> 
Can you even say plural? Wait, even if I couldn't, you don't have to have plural because, as we said, it just has to be the best year of their career. Oh, my gosh. And I thought you didn't get votes the first yeah, time. Yeah, by the around. way, I just want to talk to all you listeners out there. You disappoint me. <laughs> you guys, look, this Listen. team, which got the lion's share of the vote, is exactly what we have right now that can't win at all. So I don't know what you people are thinking. but To, to all you heaters out there, I would never – offend you like that i would never call you out i i value your opinion <laughs> oh my I god you guys made Listen wise to you choices laying it on thick and you followed your heart and you you chose what was best and i applaud you for that because you were all right correct. well let me point out one thing about Gio gonzalez he had during his career with the nats 1215 strikeouts the most ever by a lefty that the nats have had so who was the other competition john lannon <laughs> well he was certainly one of them but yeah, they haven't had a lot of lefties. They always have a very righty. Ross uh, Detweiler. Yeah, Detweiler. I just saw he got signed somewhere. He's still kicking around in the league. I, I'll never forget. I went to. I was in Nashville a couple years ago, and I just went to the Nashville Sounds game, which is the A's AAA affiliate. Just randomly one day, I was in Nashville, had to kill some time, and I look on the mountain, and it's freaking Ross Detweiler starting, and it was the funniest that thing I've hilarious. ever seen because Ross Detweiler literally started the playoff game <laughs> for us, and now he's starting a game of AAA like seven years later. Yeah, well, so he started a playoff game for us, which might go a long way to explaining why we've never gotten out of a playoff series. <laughs> All right, Ryan, you're on the clock. All right, so <laughs> I am going with the man in 2016 who had the. Second best ERA amongst the Nationals <laughs> pitchers. He threw two hundred ten innings. He won sixteen games. He struck out one hundred seventy two people. He is Mister. Uh, oh, Fister! Holy crap, dude! Come on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is. I, 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 I knew you were. That's where you were getting at. Uh, the man himself. So, with my next pick, I am going with the best first baseman. In Nationals history, he leads them in no. batting average, home runs, RBIs, and OPS. His name is oh. Mr. Nick Johnson. That's who I was going to take. Yeah, well, I just took him, so suck it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess cool. if you're taking Nick Barely Johnson, then I'm, I need a first baseman. I'm going to take LaRoche. I mean, second best is cool. I hate you both. Yeah, I mean, he, but LaRoche was, LaRoche was very good. Johnson was a little better for sure. <laughs> but you took, LaRoche, you took Johnson, so you got to do what you got to do. Exactly, exactly. As I said, there are not enough good players Man. for three teams that have been on the Nationals. <laughs> so it's going to get fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I did not expect to run on first baseman. So. I guess I can wait. I'll wait. You guys have your first base, and I'll, I'll wait to get mine. Ooh, all right. So what do I need? What do I need? Um, I'm going to go with someone who's still got time to prove himself, but, I mean, so far, so good. I'm going to go with No, I was Soto. thinking about that. Yeah. It's hard to do a best yeah. ever, I mean, but last year was a historically good season. Right. So. It, was. it was. Exactly. So, I mean – he, he's the bat in the middle of the lineup. I'm pretty happy with that. All right. So now got to look at my pitchers. Doing pretty good, but not there yet. 
and I'm going to go with someone I mentioned earlier because as a Nat, he did pretty damn well. So I'm going to go Doug Fisk. Yeah, he did do well as a Nat. Not so much after, but he was good when he was here. I just need to do all the Nats, baby. That's it. All right. I'm trying to decide whether I want to go another reliever or if I want to get another position player. Hmm. Remember, only four How many pitchers. do I have? I've got quite Wait, there. Is it four got... pitchers three. in total or four starting pitchers and one reliever? Uh, four pitchers know. in total. Mm. Just because we're doing a starting nine. A starting nine, okay. four pitchers total, and then a manager. All right. I'm going to go. Mm. I'm going to go ahead and go with my last pitcher, which I'm going to take. God, this is a hard one. I'm I'm tempted towards Storin because his ERA is so good, but he was so bad in the playoffs, and he was so good in the regular season. So I think I might have to go Stanton because you need a long Ooh. reliever. Ooh, that's, uh, pretty good. that's not bad. No, but Storin, you know, he finished his career with the Nats with a what's it a one 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 two ERA. I mean, he's got. I'm trying to look in here. He's 2014. He finished with a one one two. That would be his best his best year. So it's hard, but he was so bad in the playoffs, I just can't do it. So I'm going to go with Stammen. Yeah, and as we all as we all know, 2014 was wildly successful. Right, exactly. Well, speaking of 2014, um, I am with my pick and to go with the man who led the league in hits in 2014. He had a very great slash line. He came 19th in MPV, MVP voting. He is my leadoff man. It is Denard's man. Oh, he was the one I was going to take for center field, but now you got him. <laughs> Gotta be quicker than pick. that. Very good pick. Um, and then also the man who was a two-time All-Star. Somehow, I think he's still here. Let me check. He is. All right. My shortstop, Ian Desmond. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is a good one. I, I was wondering when. I was wondering when that would have to happen, but there, there it, it is. is. Hmm. Let me see. You know, I'm gonna go. I'm going to go Mikey Morse. Ooh, my boy. I was thinking about that. I was hoping he would fall, but. Yeah, he just, you know, it's hard. Again, it's so hard when you're looking at these players because you think about, like, how it all ended. But he had over 300 with thir- over 30 homers in his best year. And I think he got he got a bunch of NL MVP awards one year. Was it 2011, 2012? Whatever year it was, he was so good with the Nats. I think yeah, it was I think 2011. Right. I think you're right. It was only. Which seems like a lifetime ago, but he was a fun he player. He wasn't. He only had sure. just that one full season because he had so many injuries and stuff. But that one season was right. really good. So. And then the, the famous concussion oh, during that was, the brawl. That was a career ending. Oh, well, yeah. I guess he was on the literally Giants. Literally killed He him. was on the Giants then, but still. <laughs> literally. He's dead <laughs> now. It's pretty fun. <laughs> literally. Literally. Gone. All right, so for the last pick of this draft day, I'm going to address the most important position that my colleagues have failed to address, and I'm going to go with the best manager We're doing the manager now? I thought you were saving that for the last day. Damn, that's like a kicker in fantasy football, man. Listen, the manager controls everything, so you guys can steer your teams down a terrible path but I'm going to set my team up for success and go with the best manager in Nats history, Jim Riggleman. All right. 
Change my mind. Change my mind. <laughs> right, that was a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of silence. Everyone's like, "All right." <laughs> uh, you took Geo and you debated. Well, I'm stories. just saying when you look at the numbers. <laughs> when when you, you look at the numbers, I'm saying you gotta you gotta take the emotion out of it. Look at the numbers. Yeah, because numbers get you far. All right. So are we done here? I'm thinking we're missing one on your list, Ryan. Who did you take the last two? You took Desmond and... I have no idea. I don't remember either. <laughs> I've been trying to away. write them down as we go, but there you go. This is the... This is We're so professional. Oh, he took Span. A, he Got took it. Span. Okay, I'm putting it on. Span. I was researching the rest of my team who I was going to be taking. Span. I was ready. All right. Well... Uh, so there you go. We got eight now for each of us. Next so time. next week we will do the final five. Um, and then we will put the whole rosters out for everybody to check out on. Uh, I think it's a it final six more. Six. Eight but times anyways. eight. Eight, eight yeah. plus five is 13. Oh, it's OK. Well, Math is hard. You got to yeah, focus guess, on the numbers. It's a starting guys. Eight. Yeah, I only have five more. Well, I guess it, I guess it was a starting eight. Because I said I thought starting nine, but whatever. All whatever. Right. Anyway, so before we get into some questions and a couple of other interesting things we're going to talk about, let me take a moment to stop and remind everyone that we're doing this for the DMV Sports Network. Um, they have a library of podcasts about all the local sports teams, um, Caps, Wizards, Redskins, Ravens, obviously Nats. Um, two of the shows that cover multiple sports, which is About Time DC and Dom and Thunder, and there's also the DMV Dispute. They're all great. You should check them all out, and uh, be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. So let's move on and talk about um, – there was a great Twitter question that came in last week, and we liked it so much we decided. It was uh, at Nationals Post. Was that right, Ryan? My boy, the original heater. Yeah, um, so I'll introduce this. So it is a two-parter segment. Um, the Nationals have made a lot of moves over their franchise history. But just like everyone else, there are more moves that did not come to fruition. So for everyone listening, as well for you, Amanda and Nick, of all the moves that the Nats tried to make and did not make, which one do you wish they did the most? It could be re-signing someone, a free agent, a trade, hiring a coach, or anything. And then the other side of that is which move did they make? Do you wish they did not? So we'll start with the first option of that. So move you wish happened, but it didn't. Yes. Okay. Um, I mean, there's certainly, well, for everyone listening, let's just recap some famous ones that didn't happen. Um, just so everyone has a good idea of what's out there to pick from. Um, obviously, if we're going most recent backwards, Bryce Harper, uh, that didn't happen. Um, another big one, Chris Sale. Uh, that was essentially what we gave up for Eaton, plus it was either Robles or Soto, which, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would argue wasn't worth it. But, I mean, considering how the other prospects turned out, I feel like essentially Robles or Soto for Sale would have worked out well, but Regardless, um, another one doesn't sound this that big uh, now, but at the time was huge. Uh, David Robertson, that trade was accepted, but the learners blocked it. Cespedes twice. Jeez. Um, Cespedes twice, McCutcheon, Andrew Miller. Um, man, there's so many. Oh, we can go through the closers like Chapman, 
Kentley Jansen, Mark Melanson. Um, I rhyme there. Um, there's, God, there's so many. Jeez. Ryan, do you oh, have an I answer? Just so, so. Okay, yeah. You, in you start. 2016, the Washington Nationals faced the Los Angeles Dodgers in the playoffs. That year, the Dodgers were statistically the third worst team ever against lefties. The Nationals had a chance to grab a historically good season that a reliever was having who was left-handed. They could have traded Lucas Giolito for this man straight up and said no. And then the Indians came in and gave them everything, and he carried them to a World Series. That man is Andrew Miller. If the Nats traded for Andrew Miller, they would have 100% gone past the Dodgers. They were up two games to one in game four. The bullpen blew it. Andrew Miller does not blow that. I mean, I'm just looking at, like, the dude's playoff numbers. In the, in the ALDS, four innings, two hits, seven strikeouts, no runs. In the ALCS, when he was MVP, eight innings, three hits, 14 strikeouts. I mean, that's just up <laughs> noxious. And then in the World Series, he just pitched too much against them. I mean, he still had only ERA of three, but right. I think about this one a lot because yeah. if the Nats get him – they finally won their first ever. First yeah. ever. Uh, I, I think there's yeah, a very he, good argument to be I made mean, for that. He, he, he finished top 10 in the Cy Young as a reliever. Like, it was absolutely stupid. Yeah. And I don't know. It just, I think all the time. And Lucas Giolito is now one of the worst pitchers in baseball, and they could have traded him for Andrew Miller. And this one really hurts. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You just look at that year, the Yankee. There's so met, so much more than what you just said and what you just said is enough to like make you regret that trade, <laughs> not making that trade for the rest of the life. But like, look at the Yankees, the Lan- Yankees historically have always been a contender, have always considered themselves to be a contender. They, that was like one of the only times in our lifetimes that they've sold at the deadline. They had two historically good relievers in that season in Chapman and Miller. They traded them both, got a huge haul for each of them. And then, Chapman went to the Cubs. Miller went to the Indians, and so surprise, surprise, both teams, and both of those guys series. carried them. Like there. exactly, like so. If you're the Nats, look at the Yankees, sell your pieces, and if you really want them that badly, you can sign them back, like the Yankees did with Chapman. And on the flip side, for the Cubs and Indians, the Nats need to look at that and go get the reliever that can take you past the the hump that you haven't been able to get over thus far so i i mean andrew miller's a phenomenal answer and plus you still have um lopez and dunning i mean you don't have eaton but at the same time i would trade not having eaton for a playoff series win and yeah, even more i would certainly make so that <laughs> all right well my answer yeah. to this then would be so, girardi yeah. uh, i think letting girardi who was available Ooh, you know, and- i was thinking about that yeah, just to me, it, well, you know, and answer. they've had so much trouble at the manager position and they've been switching every two years, but they had what everyone, including all of the industry people, considered to be a World Series caliber roster with regard to talent. And they have squandered last year and this year on a rookie manager who just doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. And now, you know, if you think that, sorry, that was inappropriate. <laughs> I've never heard that saying before. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, I just keep, I can never stop thinking about how different things might be if they had just gotten a championship caliber manager like Girardi when he became available instead of, instead of 
given Davy a contract. I think that that last year and this year could have been much, much different for this team. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I can't blame you. Uh, The one for me, both of those are very good answers, but the one for me is going to be Chris Sale. Uh, I understand the asking price was a lot, um, but yeah, at that time, it absolutely would have been worth it. Uh, Granted, hindsight is 2020, but I I think it would have been worth it on multiple reasons, multiple levels. Um, Like, first and foremost, Chris Sale is a top five pitcher in the league. Uh, granted, he's off to a rough start this year, but it looks like he's getting it back on track. Um, but you look what the, he did with the Red Sox just last season. He was—he literally got the final out in the World Series uh, to to win it. I mean, he essentially filled that reliever role, and plus he was a dominant starter mm-hmm. too. So the and the Nats have experience with uh, working uh, guys' workloads coming off injuries and with arm issues. So the overusing Chris Sale wouldn't have been much of a problem. They would have used him wisely and given him ample rest. I mean, you look at what they did with Strauss in 2012. They literally shut Strauss down because of the arm issues. And so they, that's always in their mind. They're not just going to blindly use a guy until he runs into the ground. At least that's not what they used to do. <laughs> um, so if you look at, I believe it was going into the 2017 season where that um, trade was, going down or talking about so i think they probably would have given up robles or soto at that time it it hurts your future but it's a win now move and plus you still had years of control with sale and if you look at sales extension it's essentially a little bit better than what you gave corbin so you have that lefty going forward you probably have a world series with that team uh performing the way they did I mean, there's just so so much that would have gone into uh, into that. I mean, maybe Gio pitching better because he's not used in such high leverage games or high leverage situations. So then you have Scherzer, Sales, Strauss, and then Gio as like a flex. Do you want to? Do you want? Um, and row and row. Do you want to hear the? Four? I mean, it, it just it would have solved your bullpen. Do you want to hear the four of them? What their numbers were in 2017. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> Sale Sale went seventeen eight with a two nine ERA, two hundred fourteen innings, and three hundred eight Ks. Max went sixteen and six with a two five three ERA, two hundred innings, two hundred sixty eight Ks. Strauss went fifteen and four with a two five ERA, hundred seventy five innings, and two hundred four Ks. And then Gio was fifteen and nine with a two nine six ERA, two hundred one innings, and one hundred eighty nine Ks. That team goes to the World Series. Yeah, that's a that's a yeah. real nice starting rotation right there. I mean, that's like sixty five wins yeah. just from your first four pitchers. Yeah, and an- another point I didn't mention is just like that off season was the off season where obviously we had Max Strauss, Bryce, Windown, et cetera, and the the whole hype of the off season was oh we're gonna not get McCutcheon or Sale we're gonna get both like that was the hype around that off season saying. Like, we are literally going all in. We're getting McCutcheon and Sale. Like, it's literally World Series or bust. Like, more than it's ever been before. And then we didn't get either. <laughs> and then we're like, oh, screw it. Uh, we can't just come out empty-handed. So we basically overpaid for Eaton. Yeah. So, and, and like, we did win that trade. You cannot convince me otherwise that we did not win that trade. However, with the value of those prospects that we gave up at that time, we could have gotten more. 
And that's my only argument. Like it, it worked out in our best interest um, because I love Eaton. I, I think he, he's provided a lot granted when he's healthy, but he's fixed the leadoff spot certainly. And uh, he's played an all right outfield. Um, so, I mean, we won that trade, but that was just a panic move after missing on sale and cutchen and that, really sunk us in my opinion yeah well it's hard to argue with that and Eaton's a great player and I'm glad we have him but it's it, you know you can't argue that they may have that those we, that yeah. ball of prospects should have brought us in more yeah we we exactly I mean it almost right. got a sale like it truly almost got a sale and who would you rather yeah. have love you Adam but... sale. <laughs> <laughs> 100 exactly. out of 10 times Chris sale 100 out of 10 <laughs> there we go doing some math again um should have offered Matt. <laughs> yeah. Well, they can and have it now. On... <laughs> and on the other side of this. G- oh, Matt. Oh, my God. That is a winning trade. <laughs> I'm going to take Matt for a hill of beans at this point. It's just... You and these uh, sayings tonight. Sorry. What? <laughs> sorry. It's late. It's late. What are you going to do? Go ahead, Ryan. Um, and then on the other side of this, what move did Nats make? Do you just wish they did not? It could be anything, anything in the franchise. Hmm. Oh, I've got a good one. Um, When they blew up the bullpen last year, right before Doolittle got hurt, when they like traded Kinsler and got rid of Sean Kelly because he threw his glove in a way that I guess made Rizzo mad. Like you, you blew up the bullpen and then our one piece we had left that was really good in the bullpen got hurt. You essentially, I think that the way they blew the bullpen up at the end you know, right at the all-star break is that they pretty much doomed the season right there. They were still hanging in and had a shot. No, they, they didn't trade them until the waiver after the waiver. Yeah. Doolittle was already hurt at that point. And that's when everything just went to shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, Doolittle was hurt like early July and they didn't trade like Kinsler and Kelly until. Okay. Well, the, the injuries, I was thinking it was later, but when they, it was right around, wasn't it right around the deadline, like the day of or the day after. Uh, yeah, I think Kinsler was traded like August 2nd, but it was still technically the waiver deadline. And then uh, Kelly was like a couple of days later, and then Murphy was Murphy and Adams yeah. were after that. They didn't decide to sell. At the, at right, the it wasn't until deadline, the waiver deadline. But then, well, yeah. I had the timing wrong yeah. on the Doolittle thing, but it's just time, terrible. The way they, they basically just, you know, they basically blew up the bullpen, and they weren't out of it really until – I mean, they could, I don't think they were fully out of it. They definitely weren't looking good, but I hated seeing the way they. Whenever, whenever that Cub series was, I think this is when our season ended. Uh, it was like the walk off. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that was, was that was the nail in the coffin. Like, it, that was hard to take. It, it was yeah. It was, it was a Sunday night game, and uh, like uh, I think Madsen was pitching, and uh, yeah, walk off grand slam, and it would have get like if we had finished that game, uh, we would have been like three or three games back for like the first time in months and then obviously home run and then we get swept. Yeah, I just, then, fa- I just found it really odd the way they, you know, the whole thing with Kinsler was weird. Like he's, they think he's leaking to the press, but nobody ever got any, you know, I mean, it was just weird. Like they traded a guy who'd been a reliable bullpen arm for them. And then they got rid of Kelly right after, you know, it's, I don't know, like they brought him in in that blowout game and he got pissed because he gave up a home run and he threw his glove down. And then they just, I think, did they DFA him or they just released him? I don't remember what exactly it was, but yeah. I think they DFA'd him. I don't even But it was a weird, it was a weird week. It was just like, what the hell's going on? It, it was, 
Yeah, they were like trying to over overcompensate for basically just sucking and try to act like they were taking control of this team. But honestly, I have no problem with what Kelly did because he was like pissed that he gave up a home run. It wasn't like someone made an error and he's like throwing his glove or throwing right. a temper tantrum. He was pissed. He right. And how many up. times did Bryce and, slam I mean, his bat down after he, you know, struck out or something and nobody got all you got their panties in a wad about that? Well, Rizzo. Rizzo will tell you he didn't sign Bryce because of it, but he's just an idiot and didn't give Bryce a fair offer. Change my mind. Uh, you can't because you're wrong. Um, but, I mean, I, I have no problem with Kelly doing that because he was showing life in an otherwise no-life situation. So, I don't know. It was just, a, yeah, it was a very weird week for sure. Um, I'm debating between a couple of those Ryan. Yeah. One. So I was going to say acquiring Pavelbon just cause that was just stupid. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, was that was a bad one. That was but mine. I have to go with signing oh. Matt Weeders. Mm. If you, if you rank out every single catcher that was ever caught from the year 2000 from first to worst, <laughs> Matt Weeders ranks worse. Wow. He was the worst catcher in MLB since 2000 and was not close. He was absolutely dreadful. He sucked and they overpaid him. He like one walk off where he was like somewhat just that was the only time he was relevant and he was a disaster. Yeah, that's a good one. So mine, I think mine's going to be unpopular, but hear me out. Uh, I, don't I wish we didn't sign Dusty? Huh. Um, I think so. I think signing Dusty was a safe move after they grossly underbid for Bud Black, and they were panicked because Bud Black essentially walked away from them, chose to sit out a year before ultimately going to the Rockies. He'd rather sit and sit out and be jobless for a year than manage the Nationals. And I think that like uh, rubbed them or kind of put them into panic mode. So I think they, they went safe and got Dusty. And yes, Dusty did have success, but as we can all agree, that team was wildly talented and they were going to win games and the rest of the NL East was not very good at that time. So, I mean, that's just, that was almost inevitable with any manager except probably Davey, but that was almost inevitable uh, to be the result. But then you get to the playoffs where it matters and Dusty's never had success in his life for as many years as Dusty's has, has managed. He's never gotten past the first round. Why would you know he's going to pass manager? the first round? He's just never won the world series. Oh, my mistake. I'm thinking of the Nats, but still he, like he's never really had playoff success and you're giving a non-successful playoff manager reigns to a team that's never had success in the playoffs. I mean, I didn't like it. I thought it was just a, like it blew up in their face, especially in the playoffs with his decision making. And then they fired him essentially another panic move. And they got Davey, who was just a very inexperienced manager and clearly is not working out. Yeah, that's a good one, I guess. I, the other one I was thinking about, which is very recent, is Dozier. Um, I just feel like he's, you know, he's, he's been a little better lately, but nine, not $9 million worth of better. Right. And I keep thinking as close as we are to the luxury tax that's keeping us from improving the bullpen. I sure would like to have that $9 million. 
Yeah, like I my first answer was almost like I wish we signed DJ LeMayhew for kind of the same reason because I've always wanted LeMayhew, but at honestly at the time I didn't hate the Dozier signing, so it just didn't feel genuine. If yeah, I went yeah, I didn't route. hate it at the time either. It's it's it looks less nice in retrospect. All right, well, guys. Yeah, yeah, we have the we're running benefit long of here, so, so I think we're going to skip Twitter questions this week. Sorry, guys, we will get to them next week, I promise. But I don't want to skip our favorite part of the show, which is our worst tweet of the week. <laughs> this week's worst tweet of the week comes from at a Jesse seventy four, and it is Nationals need a manager. My votes for Jason Worth. I have. I mean, that's just. Okay. I know. I'm speechless. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're running long, so I don't know if we have the time to accurately like answer this the way we want to. Um. But this is honestly the worst tweet yeah. I've yeah. ever seen. It's, it's those people who are just like obsessed with worth and like just can't move on and just think, oh, worth can do it because they don't really pay attention to anything else. It blows my life. And I'm going to say this just so it's out there. And people need to realize the only reason Jason Worth is in the Ring of Fame is that last year was so bad and such a disappointment that they needed to do something for like seemingly positive press and that was to them adding Jason sources confirm of honor that was a <laughs> complete joke the ring of honor is now tainted it's like people saying the hall of fame isn't the hall of fame anymore it's the hall of very good ours mm-hmm. isn't the ring of honor like it's just the ring of being average and playing for the naps well like, that was eloquent that's it <laughs> yep <laughs> Well, all I can say is, uh, yeah, that's a no for me. Um, Jason Worth, you know what? If you wanted to have him around the team and give him some kind of a front office job because you think he might be good to, like, you know, I don't know, talk to the players in the clubhouse or something, fine, whatever. But they need a manager. And, you know, the idea of a a pretty average former player who had some really good years mixed into his career and is now – not playing and has never coached as the manager of a team is absurd. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you want him as a special advisor or something, that's fine, I guess. Cause like some of the guys still on team apps, he played with him, but as a full fledged manager, like that's exactly the problem we're running into now. Davies had no manager, like head honcho managerial experience and it's just blowing up in our face. So what makes you think Jason Worth is going to do better? And I don't want a felon man. I don't think it was, a, was it a felony? I, don't, I think uh, it was a misdemeanor. He he's. Uh, I'm checking my notes right here, and you yep, made that up. Um, <laughs> as someone who Everything drives on the road with a car, um, with a car, <laughs> that terrifies the heck out of me. And I don't want anyone who thinks the speed limit means nothing. Think, exactly. Think of the well, somebody, I could, please I the think of the children. I mean, I may have kids in like 15 years, so like that terrifies me. Oh, yeah. It was a dumb thing to do, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't a felony. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I'm just looking it up right now. It was a misdemeanor. All right. No, he's a felon. So, words have meanings. And I mean, it, he he missed the misdemeanor. Either way, and um, got a it's felony. illegal and he broke the law and that just, oof. Oof. Wow. I have no time yeah. for that. Wow. Okay. Well, on that note. The moral majority has spoken. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think we're good. Are you guys got anything else before we go? This episode of Game of Thrones. I haven't seen it yet, so hush. (laughs) 
All right, guys. I think that's going to do it for us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Um, Please leave us a review. Subscribe. um, Interact with us on Twitter. We love hearing from you. And you can reach me on Twitter at awhite7877. You can find Nick and Ryan at DC Natchak and the show at Half Street High Heat. Uh, You can also find the DMV Sports Network there at DMV underscore SN. And you can visit them on the website at dmvsportsnetwork.com. If you're interested in joining the team, they're always looking for people. So reach out to them um, via the website. We uh, appreciate you guys listening. See you next week. Love you guys. (laughs) Bye. Later. know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.